Tuberculosis, or TB, is a highly contagious infectious disease that can affect any organ of the body, not just the lungs, as is commonly believed. Experts say that each year TB is responsible for 1.5 million deaths worldwide. But we don't hear about it much in the US because it's largely controlled in this country. However, in the first half of the 20th century, TB killed an estimated 5.6 million people in America alone. That was before a researcher named Herbert Fox discovered a cure in 1951. It was clinically tested by two doctors at a TB sanatorium called Seaview Hospital on Staten Island. But the trials wouldn't have been successful without the meticulous care and dedication of a team of black nurses. Their contribution and bravery has gone largely unrecognized. That is, until today. So the nurses were on the front lines. Their jobs were to take notes. In addition to taking the vitals and administering the medication, they were the ones at the bedside. They watched the emotional, mental, and physical state of these patients 24 hours, seven days a week. They noted the slightest of changes. The thing was, they knew the disease so well. They knew the nuance of tuberculosis, how it ebbed and it flowed, how in the morning somebody would wake up feeling okay, and by the afternoon their voice might shift a little bit, and then the evening they hemorrhaged. They knew this. And so they were so astutely attuned to what was happening that they would write whatever they saw happening. For example, they started to notice that people were, their legs were slightly twitching in their sleep. You know, and that gives you an indication of just how meticulous they were and how observant they were. That's Maria Smilios, author of The Black Angels, the untold story of the nurses who helped cure tuberculosis. She says that Seaview was one of several institutions built on New York's various islands to quarantine certain populations in order to keep the public safe. From people who were criminally, what they called criminally insane, from people who were mad, and from people who were sick. And so they built this hospital. It began in 1903 with a man called Herman Biggs who was the commissioner of the city, and he had vowed, he was a real bulldog of a guy, and he had a mission, and he vowed and believed that tuberculosis could be eradicated in a single generation. And so he instituted these draconian measures and set out to eradicate the disease at any cost. That meant removing sick people from overcrowded tenement buildings into Seaview. But soon, the white nursing staff at the hospital started quitting as they watched their colleagues fall ill and die of TB. Smilio says the nursing shortage created a dire situation. Who would replace them? Hospital administrators turned their focus to black women who, at the time, were hoping to escape the brutal Jim Crow laws of the South. After the call went out, hundreds of black women traveled north, eager to be trained as skilled nurses. It was always white supervisors and then the black nurses underneath. So there were white supervisors, and I don't want to say there wasn't like one white nurse at Seaview during these trials or in those years when the nurses started coming up, because again, there were no records and the city records don't delineate who was white and who was black. But the majority from what patients who were there told me and what the nurses' families told me, I would say 90, a high percentage, well over 90% were black nurses. What's amazing is that Smilio says most of them were never infected with tuberculosis, even though they were exposed day after day, year after year while caring for patients. They had precautions. They hand-washed. I mean, this is what was told to me, which sounds kind of like that's all you did. They didn't have protective equipment. Their supervisor didn't believe in masking. 
they washed their hands and they took their clothes off before they went into the house. And they ate well. They tried to get as much rest as possible. Most of them, they didn't smoke. They had an occasional drink, some of them. But they lived very, what we would say, clean lives in the sense that they were not out gallivanting in bars and engaging in activities that would compromise their immune system, except for the fact that they were on this like TB ward hours and hours and hours every single day. Smilios learned these stories firsthand from a retired nurse who started working at Seaview when she was just 16. Her name is Virginia Allen. Virginia Allen is one of the last known living black angels. She's 92 and a half. She lives in Staten Island at the restored nurses residence, which sits in the middle of the abandoned hospital complex. And it's pretty amazing because when you go and if, you know, every time I went to visit her, you literally walk out her front door and 500 yards in front of you was one of the hollowed out pavilions. And then adjacent was the children's hospital where she worked. She came up in 1947. She followed her aunt Edna, who is one of the main nurses in my book. And she came during a time where there was another dire nurse shortage, which was set off by the war. The average stay for a patient at Seaview was eight months, but some patients were there for as long as three or four years. Alan says that the Seaview patients called the nurses their black angels. They would send them Christmas cards and they would write to my black angel. These nurses are the first ones who are restoring some kind of giving them their integrity back, making them feel human, making them feel like they're not some diseased being that shouldn't be touched. So these nurses became their family and they cared for them in ways. It's now what we might call like palliative care. You know, you become so close to the person you're caring for because a lot of the families also were not able to come and visit. Not only was the commute far, but they were afraid of getting sick. You know, Virginia tells stories of children who were abandoned because their families just couldn't care for them anymore. Then in 1951, Herbert Fox, a researcher at Hoffman LaRoche Pharmaceuticals, called Dr. Edward Robichek, who was the acting chief of medicine at Seaview. He said he'd been working on a drug that appeared to cure TB in mice and asked if Dr. Robichek wanted to start clinical trials using this drug on his Seaview patients. Together, they singled out 92 of the most critical patients who were not expected to live, put them in two separate wards, one for men and one for women, and started administering this new drug called isoniazid. Within weeks, the patient's health started to improve. One man's tongue had been so inflated he couldn't eat and had to be fed through a tube. Once he started on the new medication, his tongue began to shrink. Other patients who had been at death's door were getting out of bed, walking, eating, and gaining weight. And through it all, the black angels were by their side, checking vitals and monitoring progress. Over 70 years have passed since the last TB patient was released from Seaview Hospital, and in all that time, the Black Angels story has remained virtually unknown. Today, they're finally getting their due recognition. In January, the Staten Island Museum opened a public exhibition honoring their sacrifices and contributions to finding a cure for TB. Smilios' book, The Black Angels, is available now online and wherever books are sold. You can learn more about Maria Smilios and all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org. Our writer-producer this week is Polly Hansen. Our lead producer is Kristen Farah. Our production manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Greg Johnson. I'm Elizabeth Westfield, host of Radio Health Journal. 
If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. So I had a case that lasted over 10 years, and then there were appeals, and it just went on and on and on. This person was part of my life for 10 years. I happened to like her a lot, so it was okay, but yeah, it was awful. We speak with a prominent divorce attorney about the biggest misconceptions, clashes, and more. Then... If trauma doesn't come then, if that kind of injury to us doesn't come during young adulthood and midlife, it will definitely come if we're lucky enough to grow old. Trauma, just another part of life. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we break down the science stories you need to know. You can find all of our past segments and guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.org, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and X for daily content. And tune in next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.